Well, there it is. We are ready for our next opportunity to be talking about vice. What about our freedoms in Christ? How do we manage those? And we had a great first service and it went well. And so we're kind of excited to see what the Lord's going to do in our lives today. But we just want to process through this whole sermon series um, just talking about the freedoms that we have. You know, we, we talked last week about the idea that Paul says, everything is free to me, but not everything is good to me. And so we've got to come to grips with that. Uh, it, it's okay for us to reach out and talk about some things. And so we're going to begin to do that today. Um, because the truth of the matter is, there are some things in your life that tie you down and hinder you. Okay? Um, the scripture says that we're to run the race and we're to lay off everything that hinders us. And then we're also supposed, also supposed to lay off every, the sin that so easily entangles us. And so there's two things there. And so as we uh, begin to talk about what that, those things are, we just need to wrestle with the idea that there are things that hinder us and there are things that are sinful for us to be a part of. There are things in our lives that aren't necessarily bad for us, but there's also things in our lives that are not necessarily good for us. My wife uh, and, the, and the mooching team were having uh, baked spaghetti today, by the way, college students. And we've got, I mean, um, pumpkin pies that are that big. And we've got three of those. And, and well, we could go on and on. But anyway, there's food and it's going to be great. And there is football because the cable is up and running. But that being said, my wife made whoopie pies with uh, the mooching team. And we had whoopie pies. There are still four or five bags, I think, of whoopie pies in the freezer. And they are good for me, but they are not good for me. Okay? They are good because I love whoopie pies. Whoopie pies came from Maine. I don't care what people from Pennsylvania say. Keep that to yourself. This, I'm the pastor of the church. Get your own. Okay, so. But if I just eat whoopie pies, it will not be a good thing. And Paul says, everything is free to me, but not everything is good for me. Even things that in and of themselves are not sinful at all. And so we have to come to terms with that. What about this, though? There are things that the church has made a sin that, believe it or not, the Bible says the exact opposite. In an effort not to control people, I don't believe that was the church's desire, the, the, I believe the church's desire was to free people and to help them avoid pitfalls. But we don't get to change what the Bible says. We don't get to do that. In this church, at the end of the day, what we want to talk about is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go into one of those things. And today, specifically, we're going to be talking about the vice of alcohol and how does that affect and what's your relationship to it and how should you act as a Christian and what's the deal, okay? I am not here to beat you up. I am not here to throw rocks at you. I am not here necessarily to tell you what to do or what not to do. I do want to get you into the Word. We are in this, this uh, our, our word for this year is Deeper 2018, and so it is going to be important for us to get into the word and for us to wrestle with what the Bible actually does in fact say. And so as I was praying about that and thinking about that and saying, Lord, what, uh, you know, where to begin? You know, a sermon needs to have a launching pad. It needs to have a, 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 you know, this is what I'm reading. This is what the Lord is saying. Or I feel like the Lord is saying, do a sermon on this. And I have to say, Lord, what passage to use? And probably the single most famous passage inside the church, not outside necessarily, but inside the church, if we're going to talk about um, alcohol, comes from John chapter 2. John chapter 2. So let's just jump into this and let's read it. But before we do, let's just say a prayer over it. 
and let's just, you know, understand that we're here. Let's listen to what the Holy Spirit says, and let's don't leave until we're done. And then we can leave whenever we come back. I'm good with that. But, I mean, I'm not good with it, but, you know, um, don't leave before we're done, okay? But let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you for being in here. We want to thank you that there's no rain in the worship center. We just want to invite you, God, to fix your roof over there where it's leaking real bad. Um, I ask you to do that, and while you're at it, Lord, if you could just change the hearts of the people that own this whole property and tell them to give us pennies now, and we could begin to plan for that, that would be great. As we come together today, Lord, we just ask and pray that you would open up our hearts, help us understand that our goal is to chase after you, to chase after your word, to be moved by your Holy Spirit, and I ask and pray that you would take this word and you would anchor it into our hearts, that what the Bible says about what the Bible says is the most important thing. And from there, God, our question will always be, what should we do to bring you glory and honor? What should we do to help our brothers and sisters in Christ? So open up our hearts, in Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to dig into this scripture in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I want you to pay, again, uh, pay attention to all the little nuances that you read past all the time. See? Because sometimes we sit down with our Bible and we're just blowing through it, trying to get through my quiet time, and, the, and, and we miss what is really actually going on. You do not need a Bible college degree to do what I'm going to do for you today. You just need to slow down a little bit. Don't, don't get in a big hurry when you're spending time in your Bible. Just chill. And begin to ask questions. Who, what, why, when, and where? Ask those questions of yourself. What's going on? On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. On the third day. On the third day, what? On the third day, I, I, man, I, look, I went all the way back in chapter 1. I read in chapter 2. I can't find on the third day from what? So i got to say, why did John put on the third day there was a wedding in Cana and Galilee? Why? What is going on? What is important about on the third day? day because God put it there intentionally and so we're going to talk about that in a second but let's read Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone Jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine woman why do you involve me Jesus replied my hour has not yet come his mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing that's an important point okay it says right here each holding from 20 to 30 gallons so we're talking about enough jars to hold 120 to 180 gallons of water that's what they're there for jesus said to the servants you fill those jars with water so they filled them to the brim and then he told them now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet they did so the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine up oh, we just found out it had been turned to wine Right there, right there, because that's when the Bible said it. The, the master of the banquet did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he, he, excuse me, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, the, the master of the banquet says, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper, cheaper wine, look at this, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Listen, if you're ever reading your Bible and you want to know what the story is about, I'm going to let you in on a clue. It's about Jesus. If you want to know, is, is, that, is that way too elementary? You know what Noah's Ark is about? Jesus. You know what the book of Genesis is about? Jesus. 
I, listen, I'm not lying to you and making this stuff up. That's really what the purpose of it all is. It's about Jesus. And John just tells you right there, what was done here in the Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John wrote this to show you that this is when his disciples began to really put their trust that maybe he is who he says he is. This is John saying, this is the first of the miracles. This is John laying out an actual story this really happened. So here we are, we're looking at this. On the third day, what is that all out? Do you know when the third day is? Yeah, that's Mac Powell and they're doing a concert. No, 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 no. Not, no, 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 no. Do you know when the third day is? The first day of the week is Sunday. It's not Monday. Well, it is for me. I have to go to work on the first day of the week. You're going to the work on the second day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. The second day of the week is Monday. The third day of the week is Tuesday. On Tuesday, Jesus and his mom and the disciples went up to a wedding. What a novel idea. Those of you that have daughters, let me let you in on a little clue. If you have your wedding on Tuesday when everybody's working, very few people will come, the bill will be very small. If you have your wedding on Saturday when everybody's off work, most of them will come, your bill will be very big. So, if you want to save a little money on your daughter's wedding, let her invite everybody that she wants to just have the wedding on Tuesday when they're all at work. Okay? You'll save yourself a little money. It's on to why, why on earth would they have a wedding on the third day of the week? Work has started. What, why would they do that? John's making a point. Back in the book of Genesis, back in the beginning, Genesis means in the beginning, or means the beginning, okay, how things began. So back in the book of Genesis, the scripture says that God separated light and dark, and there was the first day, and he said, that's good. And then it says he set the stars, the sun, light for the day, light for the uh, night, and he said, it is good. And then on the third day, are you ready for this? He did a little bit of work down here with the land and stuff like that, and he said, that's good. And then he did a little work over here, and he said, that's good. On the third day, he said, it is good twice. You want to know why John said, or why it's important that John tells you on the third day? Because most Jewish people, especially back then, but again, I'm back to my Jewish rabbi in central um, uh, Columbus, Ohio, told us that most Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, will get married on the third day because God blessed it twice. And they want that double blessing on their marriage. And so they get married on the third day. Now you know why deeper 2018, hashtag deeper 2018, now you know why I'm giving you all the, 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 the backstory Because it's important to what's going on in the story. So in the middle of the week, they're having this wedding on the third day. It was a reference to that particular day. So Jesus is at the wedding. Wedding back in that day was fairly short. The wedding itself, the ceremony itself, was fairly short. But the, the, the celebration lasted a long time. It could last up to seven days. And it wasn't like a, look how rich I am, I'm going to last seven days. It was more of a town celebration. Everybody come in. My favorite son got married to his daughter, and we're going to party, and we're going to have a wonderful time, and we're going to do the, the ceremony, but then there's some other things to go with that. But as far as the community's concerned, we're going to eat goats and sheeps and, and, and bullocks, and, and we're going to have fruit, and we're going to have breads, and we're going to drink wine, and, and it's a celebration because we're so excited and we're so happy. And so we're at this party, we're at this celebration. I don't know about you, but I can, I can barely make cake at a wedding. I can barely make cake. 
my wife's always like, can we please just stay till they cut the cake? And I'm like, really? Do we have to? I don't want any cake to begin with. I already got them to say I do. They're done. My job is finished. Can I please go home? Do you see? It's a little room and a whole lot of people are in it and it's making me a little bit nervous. It's just, I, I just feel crowded and I need some space. And then she's like, can we please stay until we just dance one time? Can we just dance one time? So we could dance at home, but just one time. Because the music moves me, but it moves me ugly, okay? It just does. And so I, I, I'm just, I, I'm not there. But these things, they lasted and they lasted and they lasted. As I read this story, there are so many messages in this passage, so many sermons that I could write from this passage. There's three stone water jars. They're empty, they're useful, and they're available. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Are you empty? Can you get beyond yourself? Are you useful? Because God made you useful. But the question is, are you available? See, because a lot of you are holding bad water over there that should have been dumped out a long time ago. Okay, that's a whole other sermon, and we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, that was free. We'll talk about that some other time. But see what I'm saying? There are powerful messages in this scripture. But let's talk about what I can see here. Let's keep focusing this thing. Clearly, Mary had, Jesus' mom, had a significant role in this wedding, right? Because she comes and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And Jesus says, so? That's what it means in Hebrew. So? Okay. What does that have to do with me? And then she ignores her son and says, hey, you guys, do whatever he says. Has your mom ever signed you up for something that you didn't want any part in? You're like, mom, what are you doing? I'm not signing up for this. Don't tell them do whatever I say. Don't tell me do whatever they say. I'm mom, no, no. But it's your mom. If your dad does it, you're like, dad, I ain't doing that. I got, I got plans, man. I got to be somewhere. If your mom does it, she puts the squeeze on you and you do it. It's your mom. And so Mary's just like, I don't care what he says. Just do whatever he says. And so we see this picture. Jesus and his disciples had been invited. And while they may have been um, uh, important guests, they were not officially involved in the wedding. Mary clearly was officially involved in the wedding. If somebody, during the course of events, came up to her and said, Mary, we're out of wine. We are, it's a travesty. There's no wine. Why? Why are we out of wine? Why, what happened to the wine? I just, I just go to, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. Why is the rum gone? You know, because we're making a signal fire with it. But why is the rum gone? Why? And that's the way I see this thing unfolding in front of us. The party was rocking along and it was going well until we understand that somebody miscalculated the amount of wine, maybe because they didn't know how many people were going to come to the wedding. Two weeks ago, we had 31 college students in our house for mooching. By the way, like I said, mooching today is pumpkin pie. No, we already did that. Okay. We had 31 college students in our house after dinner for mooching. The next Saturday, or next weekend, was going to be Labor Day weekend. We thought, y'all going home, right? So we asked, how many of you are going to be here for mooching? Seven of you raised your hand. 41 of you showed up. <laughs> we planned for 20 of you because seven of you raised your hand. We had cheesy potatoes for 20 to 25 people. I looked around the house and it's packed 
in my living room. And it was like, oh, Lord, how do we handle this? And people are like, want us to send somebody out? And I'm like, nope, watch this. Lord, please bless these cheesy potatoes because there is not enough for these students. Please, please, please. There was enough. There was enough cheesy potatoes for these college students. And Claire, bless her heart, got the last spoonful. And she just went through. God did a thing. It was like, Lord, we need you to multiply the cheesy potatoes. Now listen, I understand that the, the, the college students suddenly got super, super, super polite and respectful and didn't take all the cheesy potatoes just on one plate. Okay, they looked back, saw 41 people and said, let's make sure everybody gets cheesy potatoes. But still, there was cheese. We miscalculated. Somebody miscalculated the wine at this wedding. They underestimated who all was coming. Jesus' mama comes to Jesus and says, hey, do this. And he says, woman, why do you bother me with this? <laughs> woman. <laughs> well, I would never say that to my mom. She would like slap my face off my head. <laughs> woman, why do you bother with me? My bedroom, it's a mess. It's going to stay that way. Wow. It will be over. It would be. Mary completely ignores Jesus, speaks to the servants, that means to me that she has seen something in his past. Now, I know she got the whole Gabriel thing, you know, you're going to bear the Son of God. She got all that. But, you know, 13, he's missing. He's, you know, in the temple teaching people already by the time he's 12, 13 years old. But then somewhere between there and his, he's now 33 and a half years old. So in 20 years, we get a picture that Mary has seen something that when she says, Jesus, we're out of wine, She's not saying, hey, somebody go down to the corner store and get a box of $3 wine. These people won't know the difference. It's all good. Just bring it back. Let's do this thing. She doesn't do that. She says, Jesus, we're out of wine. Jesus says, woman. She just turns her, in my mind, she turns her back and says, you guys, listen to him. I'm busy. And she scoots. She's, she's a person. She's, she's involved in this wedding. And Jesus says, hey, you see those three empty, you know, big jars over there that are used for ceremonial washing? I couldn't say that in the first service. I had to say religious. Okay? Uh, they, were, they needed to be ceremonial." There it is, ceremonially clean. So they dip their hands in the water and they wash them before they go in and they have church. Okay? But they were empty. Jesus said, go fill those up. It was the servants that had to grab those jars that would hold 30, 20 to 30 gallons and drag them over to the well and fill them up and then drag them back. Or they had to drag the water bucket by bucket and fill those things up 100 and let, let me just round it up because it was up, you know 20 to 30 gallons so let me just say 180 gallons can i just say that you know it's not the gospel truth but it's somewhere between 100 and 180 gallons okay is what we're looking at 120 and 180 gallons that's what we're looking at okay so they fill it all up a little at a time okay the servants see that happen you notice that jesus does this miracle and the master of the service dips or takes the drink, and he says, man, this is some good stuff. And he has no idea whatsoever that that water has just been turned into wine. Who does? The servants. Who was the miracle for? The servants. Otherwise, Jesus would have shown the master of the, of the wedding who it was for. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came for the least of these? That Jesus came for the hurt, the broken, the dying, the set aside, the servants? The people that feel like God doesn't really love them, doesn't really care about them, doesn't really want them around, doesn't have anything for them, isn't going to use them, that they're useless to the kingdom of God because they're divorced, because they're broken, because they can't get past some sin in their lives, because they're in bondage, because they're alcoholics. Well, pick something. 
Isn't it amazing that those are the people that Jesus came to? Those are the people that he did the miracle right in front of. Can you imagine? Jesus says, fill that up with water. And the servants come over and say, Jesus, it's all filled up with water. And he says, okay, now dip some out and take it to the master of the servant. And the servants, I mean, the master of the wedding. And the servants be walking over here like, uh, are you going to take it to him or I got to take it to him? Because I'm not going to take him that water and pretend that it's wine. I'm not going to do it. At some point, it turns into wine. It's water in the jar but they dip it out and they take it to the master of the ceremony and he drinks the water and he says, no, this is wine. Jesus did a miracle. And they're like, I don't, it's water. When is it going to, how is it going to, I want to see that when I get to heaven. I want to see when the loaves and the fishes multiplied. I want to see when the water would turn to wine. When they were carrying it going, oh, please, Jesus, make it go, make it go, make it, come on, red. No, no, a blanc. No, 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 a rosé. Could you make it, just make it something but water. See? And they carried it to the master and he drank it and it was wine. Jesus made more oinos. Oinos is wine. It's the Greek word for wine. Oinos. The most common word for wine in the New Testament is oinos. And he made roughly 180 gallons of it. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Jesus is at the wedding. What's he doing there? He's been invited to the party. Without going all America 2018 on you, he's partying. Like it's 033. <laughs> There's no 19 in front of that. <laughs> okay? But he's partying like it's 33 AD. And there he is. And he's at the party. He's not sinning. He's not sinning. But he's at the party. You know that there's a place where you've got to begin to say, wow, how do I reconcile this? Well, if you're a conservative, you say, it was grape juice. He just made grape juice. It's Welch's. It's all good. It's just grape juice. Don't worry, people. Don't worry. It's just grape juice. I love you, but that is not the truth. If you're living in your freedoms, you say, he made the good stuff. The master of the wine was speaking of. It's the good stuff. It's boiled down. It's oinos. It's fermented. There are three words that you will find in the Scripture, the most commonly word, used words for wine. Oinos, glucose, and yayin. Okay? Yayin is the Hebrew word. Glucose and um, um, oinos are the, um, the, uh, the Greek words that you'll find in the New Testament. Okay? And those are the most common. There are a myriad. There's a word for the fact that the grape hasn't been squashed yet, but we're going to call it wine, not a grape. Um, there's there's uh, uh, a word, and uh, glucose actually means freshly um, squeeze but strong drink. Oinos means strong drink or it can mean wine that has been cut with water. It can be either one of those things. But it all still has alcohol in it. We have to wrestle with that. Now, in this church, what's important is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. So let me tell you what I see here. There is nothing to support the idea that all the party goers were drunk. There isn't. The scripture says the master did say that it was the social norm. He made a statement. It's the norm in our society and culture that after everybody has had too much that you bring out the watered down wine. But he never says, hey, everybody's drunk. 
Now, John does not have a problem in his, his, his uh, recollection, uh, recollection of the gospel. He does not ever have a problem saying drunkenness is a sin, being drunk is a sin, these people were drunk. He doesn't have any problem. So if he wanted to make a point that they were drunk and that's what was going on, he would have said so. He was there with Jesus. But the master of the service says it's kind of the social norm that after you've partied for a while and everybody's had enough, everybody's had a little too much, whatever you might want to say, that you bring out cheap stuff to finish off the week or the three or four days, whatever it might be. But it doesn't say everybody was falling down drunk and therefore you have to reconcile Jesus made 180 gallons for a whole bunch of drunk people. You don't have to do that because you have to, you have to make it say that in order for it to say that. Okay? It was a common practice in Jesus' day to mix the water with the wine to weaken it. The third thing is Jesus was at the party and there was no reason whatsoever to suggest that he and the disciples were not also drinking the same wine as everybody else. Once again, it was a normal drink for everyday families. It was. I don't know about you, but I, know, I meet people all the time that Jesus was standing over in the corner and he was not participating in the partying or whatever and he's got his, you know, like 64-ounce Yeti with his stainless steel straw in it because he doesn't want to, you know, be a problem to all the fish in the sea and so he's not going to use plastic. But he's over there and he's got his water and he's trying to get his ounces in today, you know. No, no, no. It's more appropriate to say Jesus was interacting with his culture and there's no reason to believe that he was not drinking the same wine that some people would like to tell you all of these people were drinking and suddenly they're all drunk. Jesus did not get drunk. He did not. But there is no reason to believe he was not eating and participating in the party that was going on. It was a celebration. One of the mo other most important things that I learned from this story as a young Christian was that God cares about your everyday wants and needs. Some of you think the only thing that God wants to do for you is make sure you've got clothes, make sure you've got food, and make sure you've got a roof over your head. And to ask Him for anything else is, is absolutely terrible. And I want you to just know, that's bad theology. That would be good theology if God was a dictator. But He wants to be your dad. He wants to be your father. I'm not saying He's going to give you everything you want. All I'm saying is that He sees and cares that you don't have enough wine at your wedding. He sees and cares that you, you aren't able to treat your guests really special. God cares about the very thing that you're going through that you're afraid to ask Him for. He cares about that. I'm not saying He's going to give it to you because no always has to be an appropriate answer because He's God and He knows what's best for us. But the truth of the matter, He cares that you get that job. He cares that you've been left. He cares that you're getting to the end of your finances. He cares that you've got that child that maybe is an alcoholic. Or maybe as a drug addict. He cares that you've got that, 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 uh, that, that spouse that's sick and dying. And, 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 and you're like, God, if you could just make the flowers bloom for him today or her today. Just so that they can feel special. God, this story right here tells you that God cares about stupid things like, do you have enough wine at the wedding? Yes, he loves you, man. And if he didn't prove it in that story, I'm not really sure. I mean, you can, you can go to, you know, the end of the scripture, I mean, where he's dying for you on the cross, certainly. But man, that, that shows you that he, he cares about your little dog. He does. He cares about the things. He cares about your flat tire. He cares that you didn't get the raise. 
He cares. And he wants you to talk to him and ask him about it. The fifth thing is, and it's a reiteration of the other one, Jesus says this himself in Matthew 11, For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he's a demon. But I did. I, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. They say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus drank wine. If Jesus didn't drink wine, they wouldn't call him a drunkard. They would call him a juice drinker. See? I mean, come on. They're not going to call him a drunkard for just drinking Welch's grape juice, just freshly squeezed grape juice. They're going to call him a drunkard because he drinks wine, and, and, and not just because he drinks it, because it's there. And they're just trying to be self-righteous and say, he drinks wine, but we don't. We just drink the juice part of it. See what's going on there? And they're like, hey, this is the deal right here. Pay attention to that. Jesus and his disciples were at the party. The Old Testament law is absolutely full of encouragement to drink, when you're celebrating, when life is good, when you have a son, um, when you bring in the crop, when you bring your sacrifice to God, bring some wine for the priest. It's in there. It's in the book of Leviticus. Bring the wine in. Bring 10% of all of your wine harvest in. Squash the grapes, bottle it up, and bring some in. God wants his share. But the scripture over and over and over again presses into the idea that when, when you have a drink of wine, drink it to celebrate do not drink it to get happy. You, people would drink it because they were happy. They're encouraged that it's okay for them. You don't have to drink. But they're encouraged, man, celebrate with some, some wine and celebrate your happiness. Not get some wine, you, you're home from work, take your clothes off, throw it down, be mad at work, and drink till you get happy. We call those people alcoholics. When you're drinking to get happy, when you're drinking to hide, you are putting yourself in a dangerous, dangerous situation. So 2,000 years later, we don't want to be on the fast track to a drunkard to hell. And so we stop and we begin to say, what's this mean for you and I? Brad Paisley, one of my favorite country artists, wrote a song called Alcohol. And, and this is kind of definitive for me. Since the day I left Milwaukee, Lynchburg, Bordeaux, France, I've been making a fool out of folks just like you, and helping white people dance. I am medicine and I am poison. I can help you up or make you fall. So you see, even here, it ends up being one of the most socially acceptable bondages in our lives today. It's one of the most socially acceptable drugs of choice in our world today. And we need to be looking at this. Down through the ages, there has been drunkenness, 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 drunkenness. But the fact of the matter is, it's amazing to me that, that the, uh, um, that the um, Scripture never says, do not drink. It says, do not get drunk. Don't do that. That would be a moral failure. 
And of course, then we, as a, as a society, we went through the whole ratification of the 18th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. We tried to ban, uh, ban the manufacture, the transportation, and the drinking, and the selling, and everything of alcohol in the first decade of the 19th or the 20th century. And then we saw how that worked out. By 1932, they'd repealed it. I did a little bit of research, and it was amazing to me that the state of Maine, in uh, uh, um, what would be 15 years before the beginning of the Civil War, so in 1846... In 1846, the state of Maine, I say this because I'm from Maine, um, they prohibited the manufacture, the sale, the transportation, and the drinking and the selling of alcohol. They tried to be the first state to do it. And then it you know, just kind of goes through, and then by the time we get to uh, uh, 1932, the, the, uh, it gets repealed, and suddenly it, it's not there, and we've got to decide what we're going to do with it. How are we going to relate to it? And remember, we're doing this series and we're hearing Paul say, everything is free to me, but not everything is good for me. I come from a home that is, um, struggles with um, addictive personality disorder. If my family's going to do something, we are going to do it, and we are going to go all in. So we have to be very, very careful. When I lay out my family line, it's alcohol, 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 alcohol. It's like, are you kidding me? I had a great, 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 great aunt that shot her husband and killed him dead, and they let her go free because when he was drunk, he kept beating her, and everybody knew it. And so they just dismissed it and moved on. It's in the family tree that, that a family member gave me. It's there. And so we've got to wrestle with what does that mean. And I want you to wrestle with what should your relationship to alcohol be? Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that don't do it. And I'm not going to, I am not telling you, do not leave this room and hear me saying, do it. I'm saying, sit down and ask yourself, is it getting me closer to Jesus? Is it helping me in my walk with Lord? And I'm not saying, is it helping you preach the gospel on a street corner standing on a soapbox? Okay, I'm not saying that. Some of you, it's fine. Don't be offended, but I will have a drink once in a while. Once in a while. We raised our children as teetotalers because it is a drug that you have got to be very careful with, and we didn't want it in the house. It was just easy because I was the son of an alcoholic to just have nothing to do with it. But we look at this now and we say, so what's our, what's our approach to it? And I want to look at this. Number one, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Doesn't mean you shouldn't. But it doesn't mean you should. And I would encourage you to be very, very careful for that, with that. While Paul says everything is free to me, he says not everything is good for me. Alcoholics Anonymous says one in four people that takes a drink becomes a high-functioning alcoholic. One in four. Wow, that's a big number. And alcohol is no respecter of age. Paul told the church in Ephesus, be very careful then how you live. Be careful, not as unwise, but be wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Do I think Paul drank wine? Absolutely, I do. I even told his, his uh, protege, Timothy, he said, Timothy, listen, for it, you know, at least for your stomach's sake, take a little bit of wine as a medicine. 
But I have no reason to believe that Paul went through life not drinking. He never gives any indication of that at all. As a matter of fact, he does say some other things that I'm going to share with you. Number two, it is not my place to judge someone to hell because they drink. It's not. The church has been rough on some people down through the ages. And I think, like I said at the opening, you know, I know the church was trying not to necessarily control people, but to help them stay away from alcoholism, to help them stay away from the devil, to help them stay away from a wrecked life and wrecked marriages and wrecked children. And, wrecked... and so sometimes it's easier just to preach, stay away from it and leave it alone. And the fact of the matter is that when you're, when you're young, that's, that's honestly the easiest thing in the world to do. But just because you see somebody drinking a beer, having a glass of wine, doesn't mean you should judge them to hell. It doesn't. But it is our place as a community of faith to lovingly challenge somebody who takes it too far because tipsy is drunk. Buzzed driving is drunk driving according to the Kentucky State Police. It's moral failure. You've crossed the line too much. Paul tells the church in Colossae, therefore don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. I'll, I'm going to read the rest of it, but do you see that? Stop judging people because they'll take a drink. Stop judging people if they don't like stop working on Saturday. Remember what we said last week, Saturday is the Sabbath, not Sunday. You don't get to change it. There's no place in the Bible that ever lets you change it. None. If we're going to own it, we have to own it says, these things, these celebrations, drinking, eating, whatever it is, they're a shadow of things to come, but the reality is found in Christ. Don't let anybody who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you. Such a person also goes to great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions in their spiritual minds. They've lost connection with the head from which the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So we need to be aware of that. We need to be gentle and we need to be encouraging. And yet if we see somebody that time and time and time and time and time again is posting or, or visiting or, or drinking or, I mean, if, if they just only always have alcohol in their hands, there's a place there for us as their friend to come along and say, listen, is there any chance you could do without this once in a while? My dad was super high functioning and, and he's the one that told me he was an alcoholic years in, after I'd left home and didn't want anything to do with home. But, but he, he told me he could come home, but he wasn't going to be home without a six-pack or a 12-pack of Bud. He wasn't going to do it. Didn't have to. It was his life. It was his money. He was doing this, and he was high function. I've never seen my dad falling down drunk. I've seen my dad angry because he was a little too loose, and I've seen my mom usher him out of the room as I was walking into the room, but I never saw him falling down drunk. He was a high-functioning alcoholic. I walk with people that are high-functioning alcoholics to help set them free from that bondage. The third thing I want to share with you is because a lot of college students in here, let me just say this to you. The law says you have to be 21 to drink. That's non-negotiable. It's just non-negotiable. You have to be 21 to drink. There it is. And the, and the law states it. And God recognizes that because he put the people there that are in authority. Romans 13.1 says, Let everybody be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist, your mom, your dad, um, your, your boss, your teachers, your, 
um, your pastors, your, I mean, pick something. I'm, I'm just trying to, your government officials, much as we may hate or not like or whatever. Listen, God ordained. It says that God ordained this, that God has established them. King James says he ordained them to be there because God is doing something. And sometimes he puts um, people in power to spank our bottoms. And sometimes he puts people in power to set us free. But the scripture says that God put them there and they are ordained. And let's begin with our parents. And so those, those authorities say you may not drink until you're 21. For you to choose that you know better is to come against the law of God, that he put those authorities there to do this thing. Be careful. Big takeaway for me in this whole concept of drinking, I told you, I'm not going to tell you what to do. The Bible says if you're celebrating, get some wine and celebrate and have a wonderful time. And, and, and I believe in that. Just be careful. Be very, very careful. And if you're prone to addiction personality, if you can't put that controller down because when you play, you know, um, ratchet and clank, you've got to play for like 25 hours, you know, that, that's addictive personality disorder. Be really careful what you let yourself do. If you get a motorcycle and you've got to have the jacket, the hat, the tattoo and everything, be careful. It's experience talking, okay? You've got to be really, really, really careful about that. But here's the takeaway. You and I have been called to walk in the Spirit, and that's hard enough with a clear mind. That is hard enough with a clear mind. Look what Paul says at church in Galatia. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. I didn't even get into all the scriptures where Paul says, consider those that are weaker than you and you know, don't cause them to stumble and, and go down roads like that. Your reason for doing and not doing things needs to be out of your love for God and His love through you to the people around you. Okay? But be careful. Does partaking of alcohol help or hinder you walking in the Spirit? We are very aware as a vineyard church of our liberties in Christ. We're very aware of what that means to us as a church, and I get that. But I've said and shared with all of the staff members in this church that being drunk is grounds for dismissal. One strike, and that's it. We're not going to be there. According to the covenant that we signed as memberships, it doesn't say don't drink. It says just be a good example out there. And about the time we have church leaders out there falling down drunk and don't think it hasn't happened. Not in this church, but don't think it hasn't happened. What kind of a witness are we giving to the world? What are we saying to people that are trying to come out of alcoholism, come out of the bondage of that, when suddenly we're just throwing all kinds of alcohol around as staff members or at church gatherings? At this church, we work at helping people overcome addictions. It's one of the worst addictions out there, again, because it's socially acceptable. We laugh at it. Oh, man, he got toasted. Man, he got wasted. Man, he got blasted. Man, he is just hugging the porcelain throne. Man, he is just hurling from last night. <laughs> man, he's an alcoholic and he needs your help. That's what needs to take place. So we don't provide or encourage the consumption of alcohol at church events. We don't know who you're sitting next to. It would be a travesty if we were doing something at church and had a beer truck there and suddenly we're leading people deeper and deeper 
out of the freedom that they finally found back into the bondage that Christ set them free from. How can Joe Wood pre preach freedom from the bondage of alcoholism and then put those same people back into the bondage of alcoholism? Man, you've got to be careful of that. I've got a friend that, that man, this is, he's been my friend. For, I'm just going to pick six years. He's been with us for quite a while. But he told me one day, he said, we went out to dinner to Fridays. And I said, I'm going to get this Jack Daniels burger. Man, they've cooked all the alcohol off. I want the glaze and the syrupy and all that stuff that's on it. It tastes really good. And I said, yeah, you know, why don't you get one of those? And he said, I'm not getting that. I said, why not? He said, at that point, he said, I've been, I've been sober for 28 years. He said, I still want it. He said, I can still smell it on that. He said, I'm not going to eat it because I'm not falling back. He lost a son at seven years old. He said, I want to see my son in heaven. The Bible says that no drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't care if he's walked down and got baptized 55 times. It says no drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to happen. He says, I'm not going to cross that line ever again. I'm not there. It's just easier to stay clear away from it. I don't know who I'm sitting next to. So we're going to go out of our way to walk with people and help them out of to find freedom from alcoholism or any other addiction that's going to be there. That's why we're doing the purity series, guys. 73% of evangelical men in the world today say that they struggle with pornography. 52% of pastors in America. Well, then let's help each other. Let's get together. Let's walk this road side by side. If you're in your heart and you're defending yourself to death on this one, take a deep breath. Again, I'm not telling you not to, but take a test. Do without alcohol for a week. Do without alcohol for two weeks. Just see what happens. To see how you're able or not able to do it. How does that affect you? How does That'll tell you something about where you are. Because so many people that I talk to, and I say, man, that's a lot of alcohol. They're like, man, I can handle it. It's like, when I open up the AA book, the first thing they say when you talk to them is, I can handle it. See? I can handle it. And then they get to the place where they can't. They end up losing their marriage, their kids, their job. And I want to help you handle it. And here's the bottom line of this whole sermon series. I want you to have the best life that God's got in store for you. You just have to decide, does it include alcohol or not? And again, I'm not telling you not to drink. I'm not. And don't judge people that do. I'm just talking about for you. Is it beneficial for you, man? Does it help you become a better person in Jesus Christ? God doesn't want the vices of this world to keep you from experiencing the life that you have. And so I want to encourage you, in your relationship to alcohol, be honest with yourself, be serious with yourself, and be honest to those around you. Be careful. Now, these people are up here to pray for you. And if you're like, dude, I'm not going to walk up here. Everybody's going to think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Listen, they're up here to pray for you for whatever you're going through. It's not just alcohol. Because we all come in here, and that's why I said at the beginning, and don't you want Jesus to speak to you today? Don't you want the blessing of God to touch your life today? Whatever it is you're going through, a struggle in marriage, you know, a rough circumstance, finances that have gone south, whatever it is, can we pray for you today? And maybe it is alcohol. Maybe it's an addiction to something else. I don't know. But I can tell you this. You're not going to surprise me. You're not going to offend me. I'm not going to think less of you. And I'm going to walk with you. And we're going to walk with each other in this church because that's what we've been called to. So once you come up to your feet, we're going to sing this song, and these people are up here to pray for you. And you can come up here during this song. They would love to pray for you. 